Garish Nation, welcome back. Another impressive showing on the offensive side of the football for Tommy Reese and company. Notre Dame improves to 7-1 on the season with a big win over UNC, 44-34 in a shootout. Mike, how's your weekend back in L.A.? Uh, weekend was excellent. My brother uh, was visiting me this weekend. I actually saw him last weekend at the USC game, um, and then he came out to L.A. This one Friday, went to a restaurant in L.A. called Major Domo, uh, really good Asian fusion restaurant. So if you haven't had it and you get an opportunity to, to go there, definitely go. Uh, Saturday, we just watched football all day, uh, barbecued, pretty much the perfect fall football, uh, Saturday. And then, and then today, long hike, then rewarded ourselves with some Korean barbecue. So yeah, solid weekend overall. Uh, Brett, how about you? Unfortunately, still under the weather from the, the USC game last week, but voice not fully back, but Braves in the World Series. So Atlanta's rocking, uh, went to a concert Saturday night, got, got to see camp. Checked out a new donut coffee shop this morning. So good good weekend despite be, being a little sick, but we're, we're hanging in there and, and on the mend. Uh, as a reminder, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to, our, to your podcast. We're on Twitter. Look us up, reach out, send us ideas, questions, feedback. Uh, one other comment, Brett, you mentioned your, your voice is a little under the weather, but uh, I do think it sounds a lot better than it did last week uh, where you sounded like you had uh, just been – Screaming at a intense metal concert for 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 days on end, which which that is me watching a Notre Dame fo- football game in Notre Dame Stadium. So no, no surprise there. Um, shout out to Paul on Twitter. He he had our closest score prediction in our Twitter poll. He he guessed thirty eight twenty eight. So great job, Paul. Uh, keep up the the great uh, predictions. So going into this week, we're through the gauntlet. The five game stretch we highlighted at the beginning of the year. You know, the win prediction is finally above 10 games, according to Las Vegas. 11 wins. Look, it's it's there for the taking. It's going to be a fun stretch to close out the season. So really excited to dive into this show and, and really get November kicked off here as Notre Dame comes down the home stretch. Let's do it. We've learned that in this football season, that if you pay attention to the process, you can get to where you want to get to. Stick with it. Stick with it. One day at a time. Stick with it. Before we dive into the UNC game, a few topics we saw floating around Twitter that we wanted to weigh in on. First of all, the Kyle Hamilton injury. Should he play the rest of the year or should he just shut it down in in November? Mike, what are you thinking? It's tricky. He's clearly our best player. He's one of the best players in all of college football. Um, I know that there are are certainly uh, large parts of the college football fan base that believes, like, no matter what, if you're healthy enough to play, you should play uh, to help the team. However, in the situation of someone like Kyle Hamilton, who, you know, the difference between being, like, a number three pick or, like, a number thir- 13 overall pick or, you know, God forbid, a second-round pick, you're talking about, like, tens of millions of dollars at that point. So, um I don't know. I mean, look, I, I as a fan, I would certainly uh, be happy if he, you know, if he went out there and, and, and finished out the year. But totally, totally get it if he doesn't, and don't blame him at all. I mean, I think, I think when the stakes are that high, um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to to secure that like life changing money. It really is life changing money. It it'll it essentially changes like the the course of your your family's like fortunes for for generations. For sure. I mean. As, as I think about this question, the NFL doesn't care. Last year, Jamar Chase, Penny Sewell, Micah Parsons, they all sat out a couple of years ago. Joey Bosa shut it down with, I think it was really like a bruised thigh. Um, yeah. Great for those guys, right? They, they secured their spots in, in the NFL and, and they're making big money. 
And there's other examples where we've seen it derail the careers. We're really close to home. Jalen Smith, you know, still a very successful NFL career, but a shell of himself after getting hurt in a bowl game. Drake London, who torched Notre Dame two weeks ago for USC, yeah. he unfortunately, you know, just feel really bad for the kid, broke his ankle this week, done for the season, not sure if he'll be back for the combine, just really horrific injury. They, they had it in an air cast. It's the exact sort of thing you don't want to see for a kid that you know is going to be a top 10, 15 pick. So if I'm Kyle Hamilton, I don't know what's the right or wrong injury you know, answer. It sounds like a relatively minor injury, but total respect for him no matter what. I think he should put his personal um, future ahead of Notre Dame. Um, like it, it makes sense, especially given we're relatively speaking out of the hunt for a championship. And And you mentioned it. I looked up the stats. If you're the number five draft pick, you get $31 million, including $20 million guaranteed. If you're the 15 draft pick, so just 10 spots back, that drops to $16 million with only $9 million guaranteed. So it almost it cuts in half. Um, so as, as you just think about the financials of that, um, I tend to lean with the player here and say, do what's right for your family. And us Notre Dame fans, look, if we get him on the field, I love watching him play. Um, but I'm, I'm pulling for the kid first and foremost. Right, yeah, selfishly. As a fan, I would love to see him on the field, but yeah, again, said this before, don't, don't, would not blame him at all. We, like you said, we saw what happened with Jalen, and Jalen was like a quintessential, like, what, quintessential, like, Notre Dame player, exactly what you want. Like, everyone at the university loved him. He was a great player, great teammate, and then, yeah, I mean, your heart just broke when he, when he went down in the Fiesta Bowl. And for him, it's actually worked out better, I think, than, than we, we thought it would at the time. Like, he ended up, uh, getting a pretty big contract with the Cowboys. Obviously, they cut him, and that was with the Packers. But, um, go Pack Go. Yeah, but it, it, it looked pretty dicey for a while. Like we, I remember we were saying, like, thank God he had like an, an expensive insurance policy because it, it looked like that bad. It was like, wow, like he's not going to be able to get these really long contracts because uh, of this long-term damage. And, and like I said, he, is, he has been a – he's good, but he's been, he has been, I would say, a shell of what we probably expected him to be in the NFL. Like he's still a pretty solid player, but he hasn't – quite been that like superstar um, that I think everyone was hoping for. The next Twitter topic we weighed in on this weekend, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Look, Michigan, easily our favorite program to hate on the Guyish Talk podcast. Another collapse in a rivalry game. They lose to Michigan State in a heartbreaker. Kenneth Walker, run, running back from Michigan State, marches all over them for five rushing scores. Mike, what's your takeaway from, from Jim Harbaugh and the state of the program? I'm going to sound like a huge Notre Dame homer here, but this is a Notre Dame podcast, so I think it's if there is a place to do that, this is fair game. It just feels like a classic Michigan year, like during the Harbaugh era. Get off to a good start, look pretty frisky. The fans start getting a little cocky, talking some trash online, and then sure enough, they got to start playing the rivals. And then once that starts, we pretty much know how that always goes. They start dropping some games. Um, and look, that's that's the biggest problem that – that Harbo's had uh, in his tenure. He's 3-4 and four against Michigan State, 0-5 oh, against Ohio State, and that's the one that really matters. That's the one that really gets the blood boiling. Obviously, they hate losing to Michigan State, too, but at this point, they've lost so many games to Ohio State in a row that I think the fans just, like, assume it's, you know, it's going to keep going in perpetuity at this point. And then 1-1 one one against uh, Notre Dame. So, I mean, he's generally done okay. I, th- I feel like when we play them, it's generally been relatively, like, more even than I would than I would like it to be, but if you stack those those uh, those records together, that's four and ten overall against your records. And at a place like Michigan, that's just not going to cut it. Um, you know, you really have to you really have to like beat those teams if you want to keep progressing. And that's what's been holding him back. And um, 
look, he still has tough games coming up. He's got to play Ohio State, obviously, still. And I think, like, a lot of that uh, early playoff hype that we were seeing, um, yeah, I mean, it was, that's what it was. It was just early playoff hype. And now that they're actually getting into, like, some of the some of the meaty games of their schedule, we're seeing them uh, fall off a bit. So can't say that I'm disappointed. Uh, we're one spot ahead of them now in the AP poll, so that's uh, satisfying. Hopefully they continue to drop. Hopefully we continue to rise. So, yeah. Those are, I would say those are my thoughts on it. Brad, what are, uh, what else are you thinking? Yeah, the, the one thing that stands out to me is in the Michigan, Michigan State rivalry, the trophy is the Paul Bunyan trophy. I just want to be clear to all of our listeners. I'm, I'm from Minnesota. Paul Bunyan was born in Minnesota, Bemidji, Minnesota. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Paul Bunyan, definitely a Minnesotan, not a Michigander. And the Paul Bunyan trophy in this Michigan, Michigan State rivalry was created by Michigan in 1953. Because they were pouting that an existing trophy was taking the limelight away from Michigan. Five years earlier, in 1948, Minnesota, Wisconsin started the Paul Bunyan Axe Trophy. So the most classic Michigan thing of all time to pout when they don't get their way. And then most importantly, they have the second best Paul Bunyan Trophy. Like, come on, that's just childish. (laughs) Um, Our our last uh, recruiting update for the week, our Twitter update for the week... Drake Bowen is making his announcement Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS headquarters. Uh, 2023 recruit. He's a five-star linebacker. 247 has him as the number 27 overall recruit out of Indiana. He's made his three finalists, Notre Dame, Auburn, Clemson. He was up at the USC game a couple weeks ago. Uh, 247 has the crystal ball prediction going Notre Dame's way on this one. So Drake Bowen, five-star, hopefully committed to the Irish by the end of the week. This is a huge recruit. We hired him. We highlighted him a couple weeks ago in our recruiting update. Really, really big star to get to anchor this class. Um, he'd be the second five-star recruit for, for Notre Dame in this cycle. Um, big announcement coming Wednesday. Yeah, he's also a good baseball player. And um, from what I read, it sounds like he, he would be interested in playing for the Notre Dame baseball team. Obviously, good timing that our baseball program has been uh, on the rise quite a bit now. So that's just like an added... Uh, selling point with someone like Drake. Uh, but yeah, huge. I mean, one thing we were saying is it seems like each year we're getting a little bit closer. Kelly's making tweaks. Our recruiting operations getting a little bit better. I mean, if we're getting to the point where in 2023 we're getting multiple five stars, and this is pretty early, then that's when we're actually getting those recruiting classes where you can act, you can go up against some of these top teams like Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, and there isn't like a huge talent disadvantage. And, you know, you don't expect to essentially be like kind of hanging on for dear life so important development to watch if we get them i think it's like we're seeing we'll be seeing the recruiting momentum that we had been hoping for uh for a long time leap step change for sure with that let's dive into the unc game defensively we are fighting for every blade of grass we bend back ball carriers 44-34, Irish win in a shootout. Most important headline in this game was Mike's prediction of 44-35. Spot on. Congratulations. Just one point off. Take your lap. Take your bow. Well done, Mike. Great prediction. I, yeah, I think I should, you know, we do, we talk about points on this podcast. We'll be like point for Mike, point for Brett. Yeah, I mean, that, this was almost like a point and a half, I gotta say. That was, that was pretty close. I, going into that prediction, I was kind of assuming that Kyle Hamilton wasn't gonna play, so, with that, I was leaning towards it being a shootout, and yeah, it turns it turns out that it uh, that it worked. I did not bet on this game. Uh, perhaps I should have, because uh, that's about as close as you can get. 
As a reminder, I had the Irish winning 31-17, so I was still correct with Irish beating the spread. I'm now 6-1 betting on the Irish against the spread this year. That's maybe the biggest storyline in Notre Dame football. Um, I'm, I'm starting to pencil in my, my Hall of Fame speech in the uh, Las Vegas Betters Hall of Fame. This game, absolute shootout, over 1,000 yards of offense. This was a huge step forward for Notre Dame's offense. On the flip side, definitely step back for the defense. We'll get into that. Hopefully it's just a blip and not a bigger trend, but the big highlight tonight is, is Notre Dame's offense. Um, so I think one, one key point here is UNC, they've been disappointing thus far, but they are a good team and they do have a lot of talented players. That being said, um, you know, it's it obviously it's a game that we should win. Uh, you know, playing an un, an unranked team at home, but it is a game where if you don't show up, they they definitely could uh, you know could beat you. S, SP plus ratings we talked about that. North Carolina's their SP plus rankings, the advanced metrics actually have them pretty close to us. I think we were going into what Brett, we were like maybe like a what were we, like a three point one favorite. two point favorite on yeah. a neutral field, three and a half at home. Yeah, I mean, so that's pretty much like a dead heat. Um, again, they've been, I would say generally we've at times overperformed some of our SP plus rankings and UNC is certainly, um, they've underperformed, but, um, the advanced metrics show that these two teams are, are pretty equal. And you got Mac Brown as, as opposed to USC. Another element was, uh, Mac Brown is actually like a Hall of Fame coach. Dude, you know, the guy won like a, a national title at, at Texas. He's been doing it for a long time. Clearly since he's been at UNC, Again, this year hasn't gone the way that they expected, but I think it's clearly a program uh, that's on the rise. Um, Max seems to still be uh, pretty heavily engaged in all aspects of the program. The recruiting classes have been have been very good this year. It seems like he's going to have another good recruiting class too. Um, and then another element is they have one of the best QBs in the country uh, with Sam Howell, and that's exactly what we saw in this game. He did he can't, showed up exactly as advertised, just absolutely electric, seventy one percent completion percentage. 341 run, 341 yards. He ran for 117. And then I think one thing that just, those numbers fly off the page, but one thing that just really makes your eyes pop, pro football focus grade of 91. Uh, and an adjusted completion Unheard percentage of. of 81%. That's, that's just insane. When someone's playing at that high of a level, uh, I mean, you should be basically, I'm basically sitting back saying like, alright, like, this guy's, he's ready for the NFL. I feel like he's just wasting his time at the college level now. Just get him, get him to like a higher level of competition and, Let's, let's see him challenge himself there. For, for sure. We were texting during the game. Our, our first takeaway is, wow, UNC is good. I, I, I know they're four and four. I know the clickbait headline is, you know, Notre Dame's a program that should never lose to a team like UNC. That's just, that, that's not true when you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach combined with a senior quarterback that's going to go in the first round and is playing like a first round NFL quarterback. They've got two all ACC playmakers at running back and wide receiver. They're four and four. They haven't lived up to expectations. This isn't a top 25 win that's going to help Notre Dame's resume in a big way. But this is a really good North Carolina football team. And I think we saw that in this game. They were really competitive. They put up yards. They, they hung in there. Um, and, and they were a really good team. That leads to our second takeaway. Notre Dame was better. They had an 85% postgame win expectancy, according to collegefootballdata.com. And where that really stood out to me was Notre Dame played a clean game and, and was just more disciplined. Um, second week in a row where, where Notre Dame was the more disciplined team, UNC had nine penalties in this game. Um, frankly, they got lucky on their first touchdown. The refs missed a very obvious offensive pass interference on, on a pick play that, yep. that sprung them for the 40-yard um, touchdown pass to start the game. 
And then, of course, Sam Howell had the big interception. Uh, Notre Dame, no turnovers, only five penalties, very clean game. I thought that was the biggest difference between otherwise two pretty evenly matched teams. Yeah, I mean, it was. I would say generally, yeah, I mean, there's the interception, but, like, generally a pretty clean game for both teams, I would say. Um, yeah, we just – and we'll get into this a little bit more. Both teams on offense, very high success rates. Um, you know, both teams were pretty explosive. Um, and I'd say, like, one area – again, not many – not, not a ton of like, not a ton of turnovers or there were some penalties, but nothing like that bad. But, um, yeah, I think like what, where Notre Dame like stood out a little bit more was we, we just didn't, we gave up like hardly any havoc at all. And that was like the one area that I think kind of helped us, uh, helped us like win out a little bit. And then I think another factor, again, these are things we're going to talk a little bit, uh, talk about in a little bit more detail, but, um, we did pretty well once they got in the red zone. They, once they got in the red zone, they had trouble actually punching it in and, and getting touchdowns. We held them to field goal several times, and I think that's that's really what kind of uh, kind of like broke the game in our favor. Let's dive into the offense and, and some of the takeaways from this game. Our first takeaway: another step forward for Tommy Reeson and the offense. Um, we found something in Virginia Tech. We weren't sure if it was real or if it was fake. If it was just a fourth quarter heroics and adrenaline. Then USC comes to town. Uh, we had a bye week to prepare. They've got an interim coach. We put up a 49% success rate in that game. 31 points with all sorts of missed opportunities in the red zone. We knelt down at the end of the game. F- felt like we could have scored 40 or more points easily against USC. And then this UNC game, another great performance. Um, look, UNC's defense, they're the 58th most efficient defense in SP+. Plus, so adjust your expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. But wow, did Notre Dame come out on fire in this game, a 52% success rate. That's the highest on the year. Over the last three games, we've averaged a 50% success rate. That would be top 12 in the country if that's the success rate we had for the whole season. So look, say whatever you want about Notre Dame's offense starting slowly over the last five games in in the eighth episode um, of, of our podcast. We really harped on Tom Reese and whether or not he should be getting this together. He has answered the bell. The last three games have been tremendously efficient on offense. You're seeing that in the success rate. And and once again, Notre Dame just moves the ball efficiently up and down the field here against UNC. Yeah, for Tommy, got to give him credit. It seems like after that Virginia Tech game, it seems like – I think and I think they even talked about this in some of their press conferences. It seems like they, they found something in that sequence, um, and then they dove into it, and their takeaway was like, okay – it seems like Cone is a little bit more comfortable doing certain things, playing with a little bit more tempo, um, running certain types of plays. And with that bye week, it gave them an opportunity, and we talked about this last episode, to kind of self-scout and, and adjust what they did. And, and, they, and it seems like they keep kind of like tweaking and improving. And I don't want to say like the light bulb went on necessarily, but the offense has looked quite a bit better since they made these adjustments. Granted, we're playing... Uh, defenses that aren't quite as good as the ones that we played early on, but the defenses that we played early on in the season, some of those were the some of the just best defenses in the entire country. So of course you're not going to look quite as good going against uh, like like Cincy or like Wisconsin. Those are tough teams to score on for anyone, even if you are uh, in, in a lead offense. But diving into Cone uh, a bit more, so Pro Football Focus grade of 84, really high. Led the, led the team on both sides of the ball. Uh, very impressive. Uh, looking at some more. Metrics. He had 0.6 predicted points added. Um, 0.4 is, is typically that's the measure to be above average. So 
he was just all over in this game. We've mentioned before, in book, he was about 0.4. So uh, a game like this, very impressive. And he was also plagued by four drops where his stat line gets gets even better, including uh, that huge uh, downfield throw to Styles that, that might have gone to the house. Grant Styles had a great game, so I'm not going to knock him too much there. But that, that play in particular was just uh, was easy pickings. Um, but if you adjust for drops... He completes 86% of his throws in this game and really outdueled Howell, or, 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 at the, or at the least he hung in with him. Yeah, you, you mentioned predicted points added. I, I just pulled it up in the first five games, Florida State through Cincinnati. He averaged 0.2. Uh, he was 0.4 against Florida State, 0.4 against Toledo, and then 0.2, 0, and 0. So he averaged right around 0.2. The last three games, he's averaged um, over 0.5. So he's over doubled his productivity and went from really an average college quarterback below maybe Ian Book's productivity the last couple of years, if we want to make that our benchmark of an above average quarterback, not a Heisman winner, but Ian Book was an above average college quarterback. Jack Cohn went from performing worse than that to performing significantly better. So what we've seen out of Jack Cohn since Virginia Tech, really incredible turnaround. I think it's a lot of what you said, what Reese found in the tempo offense in getting the ball out quick, in, in mixing things up. And and that leads us to our second big takeaway um, in, in the offensive side of the game, creativity. Um, again, I mentioned this. We were harping on Reese a few years ago that he's not getting enough scrutiny. He's sort of getting this excuse because he's a young coach, and therefore he's trying to learn. And look, just being a young coach, that that's not a good excuse if you're at a program like Notre Dame. And one of the things we identified was there's not a lot of creativity. There's no misdirection. There's no pre-snap motion. There's no quick passing, um, and that is not allowing us to mask the weaknesses that we were seeing in the offensive line that we were seeing in an immobile quarterback in Jack Cohn. Now we're seeing those things. Um, I thought in this game there's a lot more creativity. On the first scoring drive, there was a designed run for Cohn. There's a jet sweep. There's a wide receiver bubble screen for the touchdown when, when we had a hats advantage on the outside. Um, hats advantage means we had three wide receivers when they were covered by two defensive backs and then only a linebacker shading in that direction. So we had a numbers mismatch. Um, the other takeaway I had was I think we had three jet sweeps in this game. They all went for eight or more yards. So a lot of motion, a lot of creativity, a lot of different play calling. It was just a really fun offensive performance to, to watch. Yeah, certainly a lot of pre-stat motion. Kyron, you know, he would run out to the slot. <laughs> Then back to running back. Tempo just allows you to do things differently. Get to the line quickly. Move. See what the defense does. Audible to go. And as we've alluded to, the result was uh, some high explosiveness. 1.3. Not lights out. Uh, again, 1.35 or higher. That would be a top 25 defense. But 1.3, that's really good. Um, and measured against success plays. So so it's harder to be explosive with a really high success rate. If, you just, if every play is successful... Um, you don't have to like rely on a high explosiveness as much. Um, so, anyways, and also for context, uh, USC was 1.1 and Virginia Tech was 0.9. Compared to those, obviously this game was was much better. Um, first game where we've had high success rate plus high explosiveness. So, um, really like the most effective overall that we've seen the offense at this point. Diving a little bit more into the skills uh, players um, individually, if we look at our predicted points added. Um, for Kevin Austin, really good game for him, 1.4. It's, again, again, really, really ex- exceptional uh, number for him. Avery Davis, the captain, 1.1. And then the freshman styles is 0.8. So big day for the playmakers. Cohen had a really good uh, number for predicted points uh, added. 
but like so did so did our skill uh, position players too. Next theme to hit on the offense: the offensive line has gelled. Uh, that was a big preseason topic we harped on that it would probably take a month for this offensive line to gel, just given four new starters. Then you've got the rash of injuries to Fisher and Carmody and Tosh Baker. So look, we didn't get there in three or four games. It took us six, seven games to really get there. But the offensive line has arrived, and they are playing like an elite unit. They had 3.5 line yards per rush in this game. As a reminder, line yards is effectively how much push the offensive line will generate on a running play, how much push the running back will get before first contact. Um, we've averaged 3.3 over the last three games. That would be top 30 in the country if we did that for the entire season. That's higher than where Notre Dame's been in prior years. We've kind of ranged between 3 to 3.2. We were 2.2 for the first five games. So that offensive line push in our running game has increased by 50%. Just a really big step change for, for the offensive line. Yep. And then diving a little bit more into pass protection, which is an issue that plagued us early on in the season. Uh, only one sack for the second straight game. So these quick throws are working. Cone was he was taking sacks, as we mentioned before in prior episodes, at a clip of about 40% of pressures. That's double the average. So twice as many as he should. Uh, USC, 20%. UNC, 12%. So clearly clearly a stat that is uh, declining in our favor. Uh, also, another figure that we mentioned uh, previously was that the havoc rate that we allowed was really low, and that coincides with what we were saying about fewer sacks given up. Only 7% havoc rate. Ridiculously good. And that's really, I think that's really like the number that helped differentiate us in this game against UNC. Um, as long as that number is less than 15%, you're feeling pretty good. So almost half the havoc rate that would be considered a good day for the offense. Just overall, great job not letting UNC disrupt the flow of the game. Looking at some grades, we mentioned the offensive line is just, you know, it's just great to see looking at the pro football focus grades. I thought just watching the game that they, they looked a lot better. It's great to see that confirmed with some of these pro football uh, focus uh, grades. So Kane Madden, we've been hearing he, he started out a little shaky earlier in the year, but you haven't you haven't really heard uh, you know some of these negative comments that you heard early on in the year. You haven't heard them as much recently. He graded out as a seventy eight. That's really good, really high grade. Lug seventy four, Patterson seventy one. So we're seeing more of our offensive lines finally start to like get consistently within the seventy range, where they're uh, where they're you know considered good uh, good good starters uh, at the college level. 78 for Kane Madden. I mean, you're getting close to, to elite territory there. Joe Alt, the freshman, 66. So that's still solid, um, especially for someone who's, who's a freshman like him. Christophic, he was a little lower at 57, but his pass blocking was actually pretty good at 78. So uh, if you kind of take this whole thing uh, as a whole, four of the five linemen were 75 or higher in pass blocking. That's way better than we were looking earlier in the season. Just excellent pass protection overall and uh, just a, a dominant line of scrimmage from that standpoint. We're finally starting to see the line perform closer to how we were expecting uh, going into the season. Yeah, and the, the only thing I'd add to that is just to remind our listeners of what we mean by havoc. Havoc is when the defense has a disruptive play, a sack, a tackle for loss, a deflected pass, something that puts the offense behind the chains, if you will, puts them off schedule. So in this game, both teams put up a ton of yards. The difference was that Notre Dame's defense, despite giving up a lot of yards, was able to get UNC off schedule. We'll get to that in a second when we talk about the defense. But on the offensive side of the ball, UNC just wasn't able to get Notre Dame off schedule. 
And that, Mike, as, as, as you talked about, I completely agree. It's because the offensive line controlled the line of scrimmage. The, the offensive line dominated this game and allowed Notre Dame to stay on schedule. Another theme that we want to hit on, uh, it's the theme that you constantly see being discussed on the Twitterverse. Um, a lot of pundits in the media will talk about it as well. Uh, and it's that Kelly doesn't play freshman. We've seen that now clearly that that's not the case. I called this out in prior episodes. But you have to look at the context. So why is it that uh, we're playing more freshmen now? Is it just because we lost early and are out of the playoff race, so he's a little more comfortable putting some of these players in, whereas if we were uh, knee-deep in, in, in the thick of a playoff race, maybe he would be a little more hesitant? Maybe, but we've had seasons like that before. Is is it injuries? Maybe. We, we'll get to injuries in a bit, but we, we have had injury-played seasons before too. Uh, or is it upperclassmen struggling? We have guys like Austin and Lindsay who maybe uh, – who haven't been you know quite like Claypool or Fuller, but last year you're telling me we had uh, Ben Skarnick. He was he was a just a, a stud that couldn't be taken off the field. I don't yeah I don't know I, I don't know if I totally buy it. Um, or is this just the best freshman ever? I don't know. It's just it's a lot to think about. And I think my thought process here is I I believe that uh, Kelly he I think he generally he's going to put the best players on the field. He tends to have. I would say propensity, or he tends to have like a, he'll tend to lean towards putting more experienced guys in the field, but really that's more because he doesn't want someone who is younger but less talented getting in there and making these potentially like boneheaded mistakes or making uh, making mistakes that could like screw up like the flow of a play. Um, but if someone's truly good enough, he'll put them he'll put them on the field, um, and I think that's like that's what we've been seeing uh, here, especially especially this last week. Yeah, for sure. Just just looking at some of the stats for the freshmen in this game, Buckner, interestingly, he only graded out at 58 in pro football focus, so not a great pro football focus grade. I actually just kind of disagree with that grade. I'm, I'm no expert in how, how they do the grading, but he was two for two passing with a touchdown. Uh, he had four carries for 16 yards, so the snaps he was in, he was effective. Lorenzo Styles, he, he leads the way, three catches, 74 yards, drops a Big down-the-field catch that, that would have been a monster for this game. Uh, but that's his second straight game leading the team in receiving. He grades out in pro football focus at 71, really just hampered by the drop, but otherwise a really solid uh, starter-level game for him. Alt, we mentioned him. He was solid, 66 grade. Diggs gets 11 carries in this as the backup running back. Chris Tyree was back for special teams. We tweeted before the game we thought he was back. Kelly said afterwards they're going to work him into the offense but wanted him getting one game to sort of get his legs back just as the kick returner. So Diggs was RB2. He gets 11 carries, a touchdown, big moments in this game where he was on the field. He had a pro football focus grade of 68. So what I want to emphasize is these freshmen aren't playing like All-American. They aren't playing like All-Conference, but they're doing solid starter-level contributions. And and you're seeing that in the pro football focus grades. They're upper 60s, low 70s. But that's great, and, and that's what you need in a program to develop depth and, and experience. The other thing I really wanted to highlight, the game was 20-24. to 24. Notre Dame just got the ball back. We're up by four, and the drive chart goes Kyron run, Styles target incompletion, Kyron run, Kyron catch, and then after that, so we're four plays into the drive. Diggs run, Styles reception, Diggs run, Diggs run, Diggs run, Diggs run, Buckner run, Diggs run. Shout out to a friend of the podcast, Alex, for, for calling this one out. But in the biggest moment of this game, an 11-play drive, we're looking to extend to two plays. We're a team that's chasing a New Year's Six Bowl. 
we have seven straight plays go to freshmen in the second half in a huge game. That's really fun to see. That's a great sign for this program going forward. Agreed. And I think you made a good point, um, Brett, that they're they're not playing at All-American levels, but they're making solid contributions. And for players who many of them have only been in the program a few months, some of them are early enrollees, but for many have only been there for a couple months, uh, yeah, I mean, it just speaks to the, the, the program's ability to identify some of this talent. And then also <clears throat> for players who are capable actually getting them on the field at a at a at a younger at a younger age, um, so yeah, encouraging to see, and I think this experience bodes well in the years to come. So if they're getting this experience now, uh, they're not going to look as wide eyed if they're getting a lot more experience, a lot more playing time next year. So yeah, all in all, just uh, a, t- a tough day, a tough day in the office for the uh, Brian Kelly doesn't play freshman crowd. Last offensive takeaway, and, and this frankly should have been number one through five, but it's our fifth takeaway. All hail Kyron Williams, 200 yards on the ground. That stiff arm on the 91-yard touchdown, unbelievable. He grades out at 75 in pro football focus. I don't know how he wasn't a 99 in pro football focus. And I just can't get over that run. I mean, it looks like he waits and slows down for defenders just so he can stiff arm them. That attitude, that determination, unreal Pete Sampson keeps saying he's the greatest running back in, in Notre Dame since, since Jerome Bettis. I I love Josh Adams. I, I don't know who's first or second in, in the all-time list. Autry Denson deserves a shout-out. Darius Walker deserves a shout-out. But, man, is Kyron Williams just doing some unreal stuff. Uh, that's just really fun to see the offensive line finally be blocking for him to set him up for success. And that he has a night like this. Really happy for him. Um, you know, top 10 play easily in college football this year with, with that stiff arm going to 91 yards to, to the house when, when really the play should have been stopped dead for a two-yard loss. One of the best runs that I've seen, uh, certainly in recent memory. And one knock on Kyron, obviously a great running back, but you would hear people say, okay, he doesn't have that top-end speed. Um, so I was impressed that he was able to maintain that run the entire time. I kept looking back. I was like, all right, like, is the UNC defender, is he going to be able to catch him? And he didn't. So to his credit, I was like, Kyron may be showing a little bit more speed here than, than people give him credit for. But overall, I mean, that was that was all him. He was dead to rights uh, early on in that play and then basically turned nothing into one of the best runs we've ever seen. Flipping to the defensive side of the football, I'll, I'll be brief with our first takeaway because we already talked about it. But Sam Holland Company, wow. I, I, we, we touched on it. I won't rehash it, but they are really good. Um, and by the end of the game, our defense looked gassed. We, we gave up 500 yards of offense. We gave up 34 points. It was not Marcus Freeman's best night at the office for sure. Ke- Kelly said it. We, we got to coach better. We had some busted coverages. Guys weren't right positions. So definitely things to clean up. But hats off to UNC. They, they got a really good offense. Uh, one big theme uh, coming from the front seven is, is the havoc. So we only generated 13% havoc in this game. That's not, that's not horrible, but, uh, but not great. 10% of that came from the front. Uh, right in line with the season average. Foskey, uh, he had another half sack, so keeps adding that to his total. We'll see if he's able to, to break the ND, uh, season record by the end of the year. Looking at some grades individually, Cross with a really strong game from a pro football focus, uh, grade standpoint, 80. That's an elite grade. Uh, MTA 76, really strong. Adam Alola 70. Um, but it, and if you take a step back and look at the what the highest grades were on the defensive side, six of the highest defensive grades were the defensive line. 
So the defensive line showed up to play uh, in this game, no question about it. Um, some of the huge stuffs there are, there are, that we had on big run plays. Um, so I think when you look at this game and you look at the high point total, if you're pointing fingers at you know, who, who's to blame, certainly was not the defensive line. The other big question then, so defensive line does their job. Then in the back end, did we miss Kyle Hamilton? Look, the safeties did their job. DJ Brown, he, he graded out at a 57, but uh, comes up with a huge interception. I'm not sure where that grade came from. I thought DJ Brown played a pretty solid game. I thought he was, again, a couple of those busted coverages. I, I thought maybe weren't on DJ Brown, but maybe the grade went that way per, per pro football focus. But huge play in this game that really turned momentum. And then Houston Griffith, he was the guy that was slotted in as, as the opposite starter and, and played, I think, more snaps than he has in, in the entire season, maybe combined. He grades out at 72. He wasn't targeted once in primary coverage in this game, and, and we were in a ton of man-to-man and, and a ton of coverage situations. And Houston Griffith really locked down um, game game for him. So the safeties did their job. The cornerbacks, tough night at the office. Bracey, grade of 50 per pro football focus, targeted six times, gave up 91 yards on four catches. Clarence Lewis, grade of 60 per pro football focus, targeted five times, four completions for 72 yards. And then Cam Hart, grade of 66, so okay, but he was targeted four times, led to four catches for 51 yards. So does Hamilton prevent some of the blown coverages? Not sure. Um, maybe, you, you know, but then the other play where Hamilton maybe makes a difference is Sam Howell has the long scramble run for the touchdowns. Does Hamilton clean that up? Probably. Look, I just think that this is a prolific offense. UNC gave us their best shot, and the secondary got beat a lot, more than I'd like to see. But I thought the safeties did enough to hang in there. Hats off to Houston Griffith. Thought he served admirably. Clearly, we were better with Kyle Hamilton on the field. But I don't know if that was the difference maker in this game. Agreed. I think they did enough. If you combine like their performance with, with the defensive line, um, you would think that uh, we should have been able to hold up. And that takes us to our to our next theme: uh, the linebackers who had a really a really rough game, uh, to say the least, against UNC. Generally, the corners this season have been better than expected. Uh, some might say a revelation that that might be a bit strong, but overall, they've been they've been strong. Tough couple weeks against UNC and USC, but but good. I mean, look, UNC and USC, they have some of the best skills position players that you're going to see from any team. So not surprising that uh, that your secondary is not going to look quite quite as good against teams like that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, look, the uh, one that, like, was certainly a position of strength coming into the season that we thought about uh, was the linebackers. Unfortunately, we've had some injuries. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's, a, if there's a position on the team that's – it's been plagued by injury luck. It certainly has been the linebackers. But when you look at like the grades, it, it's lower than I think I would have expected. Drew White, generally someone that I would have considered to be just a pretty steady, solid player, someone who I, I would think would generally kind of grade out in maybe like that 70 range for most games. Um, his season grade has been 68. Again, that's solid, but not stellar. JT Bertrand, who, and we've talked about this before, just a tackling machine. He's been getting a lot of attention. He plays a lot. We really like his upside. But he, he has missed a lot of assignments in a big ways. He, he had a missed assignment on the 53-yard TD run by Chandler and 31 TD run by Howell. Pro football focus rate of 40. Really low. That's that's really, really bad. That's like below like a replacement level grade. Grade of 52 on the season. We've talked 
part of this could be because he's uh, he's he's getting a lot of reps. He's not getting a lot of help. He might be getting worn down. But overall, if you look at his play closely, there's uh, he's he's getting picked on a bit throughout the game. Um, then moving on to the other linebackers, Kaiser and Bauer, both graded in the 50s in this game, below replacement level. So not good production from the linebackers. If you're if you're looking at this game and you're wondering which position group is the most to blame for, for the high point total. Granted, UNC is a good team. They have a really good offense, but it's the linebackers were the ones that weren't, weren't really holding their weight in this game. And and I will say, if you're a Notre Dame fan thinking, well, how does this get better? I, I don't know if it does this here. Lewifau's out. Simon's out. Those guys aren't coming back. We mentioned Drake Bone at the beginning of the show. He's two years away from coming to Notre Dame, but he's a five-star linebacker. In next year's class, Jalen Sneed, he's our top recruit in the class, five-star linebacker. Joshua Burnham, he's our third highest recruit in the class, number 117 in his class, a very solid four-star. He's a linebacker. Nuafau Tuolamaka, sorry if I got that wrong, from Mission Hills, California, number 128 in the class. He's our fifth highest rated recruit in the 2022 class. He's a linebacker. So there's a lot of help coming for this position group, but we got to get through this season and we got to get guys healthy for next year because right now they're they're the weak spot that's going to hold us back, particularly if we sneak our way into a big New Year's Six or college football playoff. This is the unit that Notre Dame fans need to be worried about. Some other notes. Dorr, strong performance from him. Great to see from the, the super senior, three for three. Uh, also on special teams, a huge punt return by Kyron. Again, just overall great performance com- from Kyron, whether it was just on the offensive side of the, uh, side of the ball or, or even just special, te- special teams. Uh, Michael Mayer, not a huge stat line this game. Pro football focus grade of 62. So pretty average night for him. Look, even, uh, as, uh, as the great J.R. Smith says, even the, or actually no, who was it? It wasn't, it wasn't J.R. Smith who said that. It was, uh, Damon Jones, former Cavs great. Uh, even the world's greatest shooter has an off night. So even someone as good as Michael Mayer, you know, he's not going to tear up the other team every single game. Um, again, he's been, he's had some nagging injuries, so maybe he's not 100%. Um, but he still does things that just you're not going to see from, from uh, from any other tight end uh, at the college level. A couple of huge third-down conversions, and then the run blocking, uh, in particular that block on the Kyron run. Yeah, I thought the other big takeaway for this game, uh, again, we said it at the the opener, but it's worth repeating as, as we close out the UNC recap. The offense looks like a top 10 offense. The defense, hopefully blipping the radar. Hopefully they get it cleaned up. It'll be tough to judge against Navy next week. But hopefully we see that shore up down the stretch. And if they do, if, if this continues to be that top 20 defense we've seen all year and now the offense is truly looking like a top 10, top 15 offense, Notre Dame's actually looking like they're passing the eye test. They're, they're looking like a top 10, top 15 program. That's not how we felt in September. And going into November, really, really got to credit Brian Kelly for getting this team to continue to improve, piece things together. They used the bye week very effectively. And now we're going into what should be an easier part of the schedule in these last four games. And 11 and one's there for the taking. And that, that's a really exciting place to be on, on November 1st. Yeah. We've looking, we've been looking better every week. If you even look at the advanced stats, we've been climbing up. If you track it, we've been climbing up the SP plus rankings pretty much every week. We started out around 29 at the beginning of the year. And every week we move up another spot or two. Right now we're at number 13. Um, now I think. Moving, uh, moving much more than that is going to be. It'll be tougher and tougher from this point forward, going, um, going, going on our next weeks. But it's, it's something that you definitely like to see. Um, so yeah, love the trajectory of this team. They win, 
Um, they fought through some tough games, and we're finally starting to see some signs that they're taking those steps that we that we were hoping that they would take to to get to that like top top ten level. This is a mentality in terms of how we play this football game today. We've had plenty of time to get our football team ready for this. No excuses. We lay it all out here today. This is a dominating football team, and that's the way we play today. Navy Week, another rivalry game coming up. This one probably more about history and tradition than than competition, but Navy comes to town in, in a series that really Notre Dame's dominated. We've won 77 of the 91 contests. We had college football's longest ever win streak of 46 games from 1964 to 2009. And and now Ken Niamatololo comes to town once again as a 21-point underdog in, in the Notre Dame Stadium, one one where Notre Dame should expect to win comfortably. Yeah, he's, he's been at Navy for 14 years, uh, won eight-plus games nine times, including 11-2 and two in 2019. Just a very consistent program, and uh, you don't have to remind a lot of Notre Dame fans about that. They, historically, before his tenure— Navy was always a more or less a punching bag for Notre Dame, which show up pretty easy win for Notre Dame. Um, but during his tenure, they've had a lot of competitive games, and they've, he's actually beaten us before. Um, as you mentioned, we had that 46-game win streak. So for, for really for decades, the thought of losing to Navy was not something that really popped into Notre Dame fans' heads. And then once uh, Ken took over, really uh, it's a game that you had to take seriously. Not that you shouldn't take it seriously, but it was a game, at least for me, that uh, I would always get a little bit stressed about. I would know that if we yeah I was I was actually at that game when when we lost the streak it was a triple overtime game Navy beat us it was the longest game in Notre Dame's history at that time going to triple overtime and it was sort of like what just happened and, and that, that that was at the end of the Weiss era and and really felt like it epitomized the the Weiss era and and then flipping to today for for Navy. COVID hit this program differently than everyone else. Uh, Nimatololo took it very seriously. They actually didn't practice in pads. They didn't do any tackling in, in their practice schedule. And the on-field results showed that they went from an 11-2 squad in 2019, Mike, as you mentioned, to 3-7 and seven last year. They were 104th in SP+. Plus. Um, and, and so this program's really taken a step backwards. And they've perennially not been good on defense. They've, they've averaged 90th in defensive efficiency ratings over the last 13 seasons, but they've consistently been around top 50 in offense, and that's what you've really seen take a hit. It's really their offensive efficiency has really fallen off running that triple option here in the last year and a half. Yeah, as as Brett mentioned, uh, this is always the case for Navy. You have to prepare for the triple option, and it's, it's, it's tough to prepare for if you're not used to it. So I remember... Certain seasons where we've had uh, new defensive coordinators, they aren't always completely up to speed on it. They're not used to it. So sometimes you see some like choppiness in the game plans when, when we play Navy. Um, and another thing, at least for me, when I've watched some of these Notre Dame games in the past against Navy, the games where clearly our team is not fully prepared to stop the triple option, it becomes painfully obvious very early. And... There is like a sense of like helplessness that can set in where you can you just get the sense that Navy's going to be able to just like run it on you the whole game. It's like where the heck is the ball, and then you look up and then oh great, okay another 15 yard run, and they just do that the entire game. Um, so it's tricky. However, at this point, I, I would say Brian Kelly. It seems like he's he's figured it out. Um, you know, Freeman. This is this isn't his first time that he's uh, that he's seen uh, Navy back at, back in his Cincy days. He, he would play them. Um, 
But yeah, again, it's like yeah, he he actually beat them forty-two to nothing in twenty eighteen. So so Marcus Freeman was in the same conference as Navy. So I, I think that familiarity helps you. That that twenty eighteen data point should make Notre Dame fans feel pretty good. Definitely, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Diaco. I think Diaco his first season. I want to say that's that's one of those games where we lost to Navy pretty bad, and it, it was clear that he. Uh, it was something that he had, he wasn't used to seeing. Um, yeah, that Freeman data point, that's, that's a very good indicator that we should be fine. Also, a lot of people on the staff are players. We didn't play them last year, but a lot of, a lot of people on staff, a lot of players have, this isn't their first rodeo with Navy. And this also is not a particularly good Navy team. When they have like a good passer, someone who can run and pass, that's when they're particularly dangerous. Overall, this is a weaker Navy squad who, um, shouldn't really be able to like exploit certain things like they have in the past. Um, you know, again, all the familiar tenants are there. Ball control, you know, they try to limit possessions. Uh, it seems like they're trying to actively avoid explosiveness at, at times. Um, and they're also hard to compare in some exa- advanced metrics because of this, this different playing style. Looking at their record, they're two and six on the season. It's not great. They really, a lot of, uh, a lot of the choppiness that you saw with the, with their COVID season has carried over a bit to this year. But they've shown some signs of life at times. They lost by eight points or less to Houston, SMU, and Cincy, uh, the three hardest teams that they played. They only lost to Cincy by seven, uh, the number two ranked team in the country right now. So this team can hang in there at times. Um, however, 115th in SP+. So essentially what that says is that if they were to play the average team on a neutral field, they would lose by, by 12 points. And that metric implies against Notre Dame – that they would be uh, 29. Oh wait, actually, I got that right. They, it implies that they would be 29 uh, point underdogs versus Cincy. Navy would. Um, so expect something similar here for, for Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and the opening Vegas lines are at a 21 point line as as we mentioned. So what's the gap between 21 and 29? Well, SP Plus assumes a regular 60 minutes of football, and when you're playing the triple option, they milk the clock, and it's effectively like you're only playing a three quarters game because they just play at such a slow pace. And so that's where you're seeing that discrepancy between a 21-point Vegas line versus a 29-point implied line from SP+. Plus. So if you're out there betting, don't bet the SP Plus line this year, uh, this week against Navy. Trust that Vegas has that figured into their, their clock calculation, if, if you will. And that, that's where you're seeing these 21-point lines open up. Turn into the, their offense, their success rate, 34%. That's 127th out of 130 teams. Their explosiveness, is, as Mike mentioned, a lot of times they're almost trying to avoid explosive plays and, and use up clock, so that they rank 111th in explosiveness. But where they do well is on power success. Power success is how are you doing in short yardage running? They're 82% successful on short yardage situations. That's number 28 in the country. That's specific to the option. It's critical for their triple option scheme to work. Um, but then the big area where they've struggled, where in years past they've been pretty good, is in that line yard stat. We talk about line yards a lot. They're generating 2.9 line yards per rush. That's 95th in the country. If the triple option is going to work, the line yards per rush needs to be one of the better in the country. And right now, they're not. Um, last stat to talk about on on, ha- uh, on the offensive side is Havoc allowed is 16%. That's 60th in the country. But again, recall, Havoc plays are when the defense moves the offense backwards. So if you're only ever running the ball, you should be getting one, two, three yards of play. So the fact that they're getting moved back despite running the option, um, that's a really bad number for Navy. 
Um, for example, in 2019, they were fifth in the country when they were 11 and two, and in havoc allowed when they had their 11 win season. So they've gone from fifth in the country to 60th in the country in havoc. One of the biggest differences between Navy now versus maybe Navy a few years ago is is they're just getting moved off the line of scrimmage and and, and they're giving up disruptive plays. Yeah, I mean that's one of the benefits of the triple option, as as you said, is you're you should be limiting these havoc plays. Um, and the downside of that is because you're running this option, it's a lot of running plays. You're not going to get uh, the same explosiveness that you would get with a you know with like an air raid, for example. Um, in this case, for this season, it seems like they're not getting the explosiveness, and they're also giving up quite a bit of havoc. So um, just really. No, from no standpoint, looking at these metrics, is is the, is the Navy uh, offensive attack really humming? Looking into their offensive personnel, uh, so Brett, uh, correct me if I if I mispronounce this name. Uh, QB Ty Lavate, I think that's that's got the, it right. But I, it right? I, I okay. won't I won't I won't make Mike say the last name of Navy's coach Ken Niamatololo. I, I won't Mike I won't make you try that one. <laughs> Niamatololo, I think that's 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 right, right? Hey, you got it. Two for two. Yeah, I'm not the. I'm I'm okay with names. I'm not. I think I I will acknowledge, and Brett will certain uh, certainly take credit. I think Brett is uh, certainly better at some of these uh, pronunciations th- than I am. Um, I I do study the media pronunciation guide of the opposing team before every single show, so I I, I do my homework. It helps a lot. I, I got the pronunciation guides in front of me. It's Tariko level prep going into the show. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, so anything for our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So Lavate, he's throwing it about five, only five times per game. Um, so they're really not like airing it out that much. They're relying almost entirely on the on these option uh, plays. Leading rushers are fullback Isaac uh, Roos, uh, fullback James Harris, and fullback Carlinos Asi. I think I got that right. But anyways, personal matters less here. It's more about scheme. Um, if you look at their pro football focus grades, they only have three players with grades of seven or more, and all three of them are on the offensive line. Um, no surprise with the triple option. Uh, you know, the strength of the team, all this basically comes down to scheme. Flipping over to defense, and, and we'll be quick here, they've allowed a success rate to opposing teams of 46%. That's 101st in the country. Um, they've limited big plays, That their explosiveness of, of 1.23 allowed. That's kind of middle of the pack in the country. But then they just don't generate havoc. Their, their havoc generated is 14%. Uh, again, defenses really want that number in the high teens. So anything below 15% is, is pretty good for an, for an offense, uh, pretty bad for a defense. So that's 109th in the country. And that's against fairly weak competition. Um, so that, that's where you see overall SP Plus has their defense graded out as the 88th most efficient defense in the country, bottom of the pack. Uh, pro football focus grades for the defense. In coverage, they're 44 grade. Um, that's 123rd in the country. So they really struggle in, in, in defending the pass. Their tackling grade, grade of 68, that's their strength. That That's where they have their highest defensive metric is their pro football-focused tackling grade of 68, so near starter level. That's middle of the pack in the country. So that's what they hang their hat on is being a solid fundamental tackling team, but um, generating big plays, not their strength. Um, pass coverage, not their strength. couple individual players to, to call out, Diego Fago. Uh, only player with a defensive grade over 70. He, he's at a grade of 72. He, he's their linebacker and, and leading tackler. But for context, Notre Dame has 11 defensive players with grades of 70 or higher. Navy has one. So a big mismatch in this game. Uh, expect Tom Reese and company to, to really be efficient on the offensive side of the ball and, and, and put up, um, you know, maybe not a lot of drives given how 
Navy controls clock management. But what, when we get their opportunities, Notre Dame fans should expect Tom Reese and company to, to have a successful day at the office. Mike, you want to kick us off with score predictions? In terms of predictions, this game is, is frankly, it's just a mismatch for, for, for Navy. Um, this is a game Notre Dame should win pretty handily. Um, as Brett said, as we've talked about, it's uh, it's hard to put up big point totals against Navy just because they chew up so much clock. Um, granted, if you can get them into a lot of three and outs, maybe that changes a little bit. But overall, um, not a team, not, not a game that you generally expect to be just like a high scoring shootout. So I think, kind of with all that being said, the offense has been looking a lot of better, a lot better in, in, in recent weeks. They should be able to continue doing that against against Navy. Um, I, I think like my score, I'm, I'm thinking somewhere around. Maybe like 28, uh, 28 to 13, something like that. You know, I think it's. Yeah, so again, go ahead, so, so, so with, with Notre Dame being a 21 point favorite, that means that you've got Navy covering the spread. Um, I'm in a similar place. The way I look at it is Notre Dame has beat the spread three straight games. We beat the spread against Virginia Tech, USC, UNC. I think we're due for a closer than expected game. Um, and Navy's done really well. They, they've played their three toughest teams to, to close games. Um, you mentioned that Cincinnati, Houston, SMU, really the class of the American. They, they've all played to one-score games. I don't think this is a one-score game. I think it's just too big of a talent mismatch. So I've got this one as Notre Dame 24-7. to um, Irish win by 17, but but Navy covers the spread. And, and so if you're betting on Notre Dame this weekend— I'd stay away from this one if if you want to bet Notre Dame covering 21 points. That That's just a lot. The other theme I'd highlight is I think you're going to see Notre Dame rest a lot of players. I don't think you're going to see Kyle Hamilton back this week. Um, I think if Chris Tyree plays on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to be limited snaps. I wouldn't be surprised to see Mike Mayer get a bunch of rest. Guys that have been dinged up, try to get them healthy. Isaiah Foskey was dinged up in the game. Braden Lindsey's in the concussion protocol. So I think you're going to see a lot of Notre Dame starters um, either play limited snaps or, or, or sit this one out and, and try to rest up for, for the rest of the November slate. So that that's feeding into my prediction. Navy covers, but, but Notre Dame wins comfortably. When you execute, right, when you trust the plan, and then you add the things that we talked about, right, an attention to detail and a sense of urgency, which we forced on you, right, by going forward on fourth down and trusting that you would execute, right? It's fun to play football this way. All right, it's November. Notre Dame is a one-loss team, top 10 in the rankings, and the first college football playoff ranking comes out this week. Sound familiar? This is the fifth straight year now Notre Dame fans have been in the playoff hunt with with the Irish program. And that's shocking to say out loud. Um, You know, if you said Notre Dame from 1994 to 2016 was consistently in the top 10 conversation five straight years, I just said you're crazy. And and 1994 to 2016 covers 70% of the time we've been on planet Earth. So five straight seasons now where Notre Dame has had a combined four losses in September and October. Those have come against number seven, Cincy, number three, Georgia, number 19, Michigan, number 15, Georgia, and that Georgia team finished the year number two. So three losses to top 10 programs, another to Michigan in a really bad, weird weather game um, that, that I just pretend never happened. So great show for the program. But once again, Mike, we're here talking about college football and, and, and the college football playoff race and whether or not Notre Dame has a place in it. Yeah, we've avoided talking big picture. I think we've kept the focus for the most part just on the week ahead, similar to what I imagine Brian Kelly tries to uh, tries to do with his team. But 
the rankings are coming out now, and we are still we're, we're on the outside looking in, but we're still part of the conversation. Um, and so it's something that we need to talk about. The, like Brett said, the, rank, the rankings are coming out, or I think you said they're coming out this Tuesday. Um, and uh, this is a good moment to take a step back and look at Endy's resume. So right now, seven and one. I think if you looked at early season predictions, some of the more pessimistic ones had us winning seven games. We're already at seven games. So if you look at the range of possibilities for this season, we're all, we have already hit what many people deemed kind of be the floor within the uh, the range of possibilities. So from that perspective, you could say it's all upside here. Uh, we survived the five-game gauntlet. It ended up maybe being not quite as much of a gauntlet as we thought going into the season, but it certainly wasn't easy. Uh, dropped the game to Cincy. Cincy's ranked number two, however. Uh, moving forward, we have a winnable November, but not a cakewalk. Um, Navy, we have... If you, I think the ESPN FPI gave us, like... A, I think we have, like, a 90... They give us a 98% chance of winning that game. So that game should be fairly straightforward. However, we have Virginia on the road, and Virginia has looked... Uh, they've looked pretty good at times. Uh, now, a caveat there is that it looks like their QB may have suffered a, a broken rib, and if, if that's the case... Um, they have to go with a true freshman quarterback. Um, and that, that, could, that would change their trajectory quite a bit and maybe make things a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, kind of just a general theme. Our top 25 schedule uh, preseason featured four top 15 opponents. Um, if you look at our schedule now, pending a run by Wisconsin, who, who's looked a bit better as of late. And yet most will have one win against the top 25 team. But, uh, actually, our strength of schedule is still solid. We're number 12 for team rankings. Number 9 per sports betting dimes. ESPN has it uh, has it at number 38. ESPN's strength of record, this measures the probability that an average top 25 uh, team would have uh, your record or, or better against your schedule. We're number seven. So not a daunting schedule, not uh, not like particularly weak opponents, a bunch of average to above average teams so far. Um, now, yeah, look, looking at Notre Dame's rest of season outlook, ESPN has us winning out Thirty-two uh, percent of the time, so thirty-two percent chance for eleven and one. Uh, Five thirty-eight. They're famous for their political predictions, but they also have a really good sports outlook prediction, including for college football. They think we run the table now forty-one percent of the time. You mentioned it. H- hardest test remaining is is UVA. Fifty-five um, percent chance to win that game, but but the rest of the games seventy percent chance or higher. So, is this a college football playoff resume? And and the first thing to highlight is a quality loss. You mentioned it. We lost to Cincy. Whether they run the table or not, that's going to be a loss to a top 10 team. So quality losses help. Are we passing the eye test early in the season? Definitely not. But we're now up to number 13 in SP plus ratings. Still not looking like a top four team, but we're improving. Um, the biggest problem though is quality wins. And, and you mentioned that we need Wisconsin to basically win out to be a top 25 team. And that is our only chance at a top 25 win um, is, is Wisconsin right now. UNC, USC, they've all disappointed relative to expectations. Virginia Tech's disappointed relative to expectation. No one else on the schedule has really stepped up. So right now it's looking like even if Notre Dame goes 11-1, and one, that's going to be 11 wins against teams probably outside of the top 25, maybe Wisconsin. But but that's really it. Yeah, and I, I, would, th- I would throw in maybe Purdue there. Like if they go on a run, they could maybe crack it, but... Wisconsin feels like the most likely for sure. Um, yeah, and, and that, that, that's a downside to independent scheduling too, right? If you juxtapose this to a conference system, um, you might have one team in your conference who struggles, but by definition, they're struggling because they're losing to another team who therefore is doing better. So if you just take SEC as an example this year, 
Auburn down, although they've actually stormed back up. LSU yeah. way down. But that's been offset by Ole Miss and Arkansas having good seasons that have kind of come out of nowhere, right? So that that's balanced out their conference and therefore balanced out a, a team's strength of schedule. Definitely. Um, I think we should take a look at every uh, one-loss college football playoff team. Um, so none have gotten into the college football playoff without a win against a top 25 team. All have had at least two such wins. Most had three. But ND, ND is relevant. So... So overrated, so let's start the narrative here. Thirteenth data point would obviously be helpful here, but um again the ACC it's an often unranked matchup. You look at like Clemson and who they've often played in their in their conference championships. Usually it's a team that can't really hang with them. So does that really tell you a whole lot more about the team? I don't think that it, it typically does. Um and even in the Big Ten and Pac twelve that happens. I, Ohio State's been matched up with Northwestern at, at least like once. I don't know, maybe it's happened twice. Um now, if we look at some of the best one-loss resumes ever, you have 2015 Michigan State. They beat number five Iowa, number 14 Michigan, number seven Ohio State, and number 15 Oregon. <laughs> but then they got blown out 38 to nothing against Alabama. So clearly when they uh, got to that level and played like the elite of, the, uh, of, of college football that year, they couldn't quite hang. 2016 Ohio State beat number six Oklahoma, number seven Wisconsin, number eight Michigan. Then they get in and they get blown out by Clemson 31 to nothing. So... Um, Again, college football playoff semis, we know this, they have a lot of blowouts. So that's not an ND problem, and that's something that's generally been an issue with the college football playoff as a whole. Um, and it's the nature of a, a system that features often one or two teams that tend to just be way above everyone else. Yeah, and I, I thought this was a really fun exercise looking at all of the one-loss teams that got into the college football playoff. As you mentioned, they've all had at least two wins against top 25 teams in the final college football playoff rankings. So then to answer the question, does Notre Dame have a playoff resume this year? Historically, no. If, if we don't have a top 25 win, let alone two, that's something that will have never been done before in the college football playoff era. But it's a weird year. There's a lot of chaos and there is a path. We'll, we'll dive into that next. But I just want to highlight for our listeners that Notre Dame, look, we're a top 10 team, maybe. Again, efficiency ratings has us like number 13. Polls has us top 10. Um, so a lot of the advanced metrics say we're in that top 10 to 15 range. But if we played Ohio State, Georgia, or Alabama today on a neutral field, SP Plus predicts we would be 10 to 13 point underdogs. So if we get into the college football playoff, Notre Dame fans need to be ready that we will be another two-score underdog. It will be another daunting task against Georgia in a game where we probably don't belong and we're squinting to say that we belong in that top four. And I just don't truly buy that this is a top four team. Now, all of that being said, I hope we go 11-1. and one. I hope the path o opens up for us and we get in that playoff because whenever you get a shot to play for a championship, you should go play for it. You should swing your bat. You should go try to win a trophy. Um, that is what sports is all about. That's what college football is all about. But we will be huge underdogs if we have to play Georgia in the first round of the college football playoff. Shouldn't be shocking news for anyone who's watching Notre Dame closely this year. We've looked better, but some of the, the moments of the season where we've looked really spotty, uh, we were particularly spotty. And even though we've improved, there are like things that you can look at. You can say, okay, our offense has improved, but we've played pretty, uh, we've played defenses that were no, are noticeably worse than some of the ones that we played earlier this season. So, it's not enough to make you feel good that, that we're a top four team. But I agree with you, Brett. I think 
I think sometimes you hear from, from Notre Dame fans that say, you know what, I don't really, do I really want to make the playoff? Do I want to, wouldn't it be better if we just went to a New Year's Six bowl game against an, an easier team and ended that bowl streak? I get that. It's an annoying narrative that you hear. It's, it's frankly a lazy narrative, just like that Notre Dame hasn't won a major bowl game in a long time. But I'm, I'm of the, uh, of the thought that anytime you get an opportunity to make the playoff, anytime you get a, an opportunity to compete for a championship, you always take that, like no question. Um, and nowadays everything just revolves around the playoff. Like the New Year's Six bowl games just don't mean what they used to mean, what they, what they used to mean. Um, you get in the, you get in the playoff consistently. It's a huge recruiting pitch. We could say, hey, we've made the playoff three times in the last four years. Who, who can really say that? Like if, if we're recruiting against Michigan, it's not even close. They can't, they, they, they can't even, what, what are they going to, they can't like really point at anything to suggest that they've had any level of success close to what we've had. So yeah, I think even if we're huge underdogs, you, you willingly take that spot, no question. Um, moving on. So what is the path to the playoff? Assuming we went out, 538 says there is a 41% chance that we do went out. Um, if we do, there's a 32% chance to make the playoff. Interestingly, Cincinnati, we need them to lose. It's a quality loss either way, unless of course they, uh, they tank and start losing a bunch of games. But if they, if they drop a game, um, still a quality loss. If they're undefeated, it steals a spot from, from everyone else. And ND is already on the outside looking in. Uh, 538 says that there's a 48% chance that they went out. If they do, ND's odds to make the college football playoff drop from 32% to 14%. If they lose, ND's chances increase to about 55%. So step one, Cincinnati needs to lose. Uh, then by conference, SEC is the easiest here. We need, we need Georgia to win out so that only one SEC team gets in. If Alabama meets Georgia in the SEC championship and Bama wins, then it's likely Georgia and Bama, uh, both go into the college football playoff as a one loss team. Um, we've seen this happen before. Uh, this would just be a repeat of history. Um, and, uh, so again, Bamming winning out here, including an SEC championship. If you look at the odds, it decreases Andy's chances from 32% to 27%. That's, that's pretty meaningful. And then the next step in the path is, is the Pac-12. I think that that's the next easiest place to, to see Notre Dame have a shot to climb up the rankings. Oregon is the only team left with a chance. The rest of the conference has two losses. If they win out, they've got a victory over Ohio State at Ohio State. That's a huge win. Um, their one loss was a super weird, bad officiating, the, the refs gave him an offensive pass interference call to, to Stanford that gave him a free on time down, and, and then Stanford barely beat Oregon. So weird loss, a big win. So if Oregon wins out and, and they're, they're a one-loss team, that's a better resume than Notre Dame, and, and they'd get in before us. So Oregon has a 17% chance to win out. If they do win out, lo, low probability, but if they do win out, Notre Dame's chances drop from 32% to 17%. So our chance of making the playoff is, is almost cut in half. So... Step number three in this process, Oregon needs to lose. Looking at the ACC, Wake Forest is the only remaining threat in this conference. Undefeated, putting up some major points at times, maybe the worst 8-0 team ever. A bit dramatic, but and that's not quite true, but they haven't played anyone. outside of the. Uh, they're outside of the top 25 in SP Plus efficiency rankings, so potentially a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, they're given a 6% chance to win out, and they play Clemson this week. Uh <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but go Tigers. If they went out, Andy's chances drop from 32% to 16%. So we need step four. We need Wake Forest to lose a game. So let's pause there and take stock. If the SEC has one spot because Georgia wins out, if Cincy loses and they're out, if Oregon loses and they're out, if Wake Forest loses and the ACC is out, that leaves Notre Dame, 
Big 12, Big 10 fighting for three remaining spots with Georgia. If the above four steps happen, Notre Dame would have about an 80% chance to make the college football playoff. So that's a 50-50 shot Georgia wins out, a 50-50 shot since he loses a game, an 80% chance that Oregon loses a game, and a 95% chance that Wake Forest loses a game. That's not hard to imagine. Like, that's a real path. Not saying all of those things are likely, but that's a real path for Notre Dame to get there. Yeah, certainly. It's hitting a parlay, but it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Um Looking, looking elsewhere, what, what else could help Notre Dame? Uh, and one thing certainly is chaos in the Big 12. Uh, we have an undefeated Oklahoma that's in the driver's seat right now. 21% chance to win out. Uh, and they're playing, they're playing good football now. It seems like they, they've, they found a little bit more certainty at the QB, at the QB position. Um, they still, however, have number 14 Baylor. Uh, they're at Iowa State and they have number 11 Oklahoma State. Uh, plus a rematch against one of those teams in the, uh, in the conference championship. Unfortunately, Oklahoma State and Baylor uh, have easy schedules other, uh, other than the, the games against Oklahoma. So we, we need some chaos overall where they all wind up with two losses. And that's certainly possible. Oklahoma basically, just if you think it out, they lose one of their final three games and then lose the Big 12 championship. There's about a 30% chance that that happens. Uh, but one loss, Oklahoma, almost certainly will have a better resume than Notre Dame with top 25 wins and what would be a quality loss. The other conference that's similar to the Big 12 would be chaos in the Big 10. Ohio State already has a loss. We mentioned that against Oregon. Michigan State is the only remaining unbeaten. But Michigan State has just a 7% chance to run the table. Um, there's actually an 86% chance they lose against Ohio State, according to ESPN's win prediction. I guess Michigan could run the table, but we're not even going to consider that. Look, Jim Harbaugh's still their coach. There's no chance they're running the table in November. And then in the Big Ten West, Wisconsin controls their own destiny. Uh, if they beat Iowa, they're likely in the Big Ten championship game. But if either Iowa or Wisconsin, maybe Purdue and Minnesota in that conversation as well, if they would win the Big Ten championship, then the Big Ten champ would have two losses. So you're really pulling for the Big Ten West to pull the upset in the Big Ten East in, in that championship game or a bunch of chaos between now and then where similar to the Big 12, if they all wind up with two losses, it could knock out the conference, move Notre Dame up. But I think in general, as you step back and think about the path for Notre Dame, it's almost certain that there's going to be an undefeated or one-loss Big 12 champ, and it's almost certain there's going to be an undefeated or one-loss Big 10 champ. And if that happens, Notre Dame likely wouldn't jump those conference champions. What about the teams behind us? We talked about Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, Michigan, Baylor. If they went out, they would leapfrog Notre Dame. Everyone else has two losses. Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Pitt. Uh, yeah, we're three big losses this weekend for Notre Dame. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we still, I think the takeaway is we still need a lot of help, kind of no matter what. Yeah, j- just to recap, 41% chance Notre Dame wins out. That's step number one. Then Cincy, they need to lose. Georgia, they need to win out. Oregon needs to lose. Wake Forest needs to lose. That's the path for Notre Dame. Um, chaos in the Big Ten and Big 12 help, but I wouldn't bank on it. And look, putting all of that together, if you set aside, we said the assumption was Notre Dame wins out, that would give us a 32% chance to get into the playoff. Just at its face value where we sit, Notre Dame only has a 13% chance to make the college football playoff. And there's a reason for that. We're talking about the quadruple bank shot here to get in. Long ways to go. This team is well on track to get to 10 wins, a path to 11 wins. 
if we do win out, there's a shot at the college football playoff, but it would probably be the worst college football playoff resume of all time without a top 25 win. But calling it right now, get the clickbait headlines going. If Notre Dame's 11 and 1, the college football playoff, because Notre Dame's so relevant, you know they're going to try to figure out a way to talk us into that conversation. Yep. And then we'll be double digit, uh, double digit underdogs again. And then we'll get, you know, we'll get matched up against someone like Bama or Georgia. I, I hope that we would play a little bit more competitively, but based on the stats and, and basically all the information we have at hand, it would suggest another big loss. Then the headlines get going again. Notre Dame's overrated. Um, but as we talked about before, yes, we are overrated. Uh, but it's because we're so relevant. So easy to love from the committee standpoint and very easy to hate from uh, fans of opposing programs. Absolutely. With that, let's go to the return of the uh, Notre Dame football obscurities. We all know it, it wasn't the cleanest game we've ever played. We all know that. And we still beat them. That says a lot about the great in this room, the resolve, guys just playing play after play and finding a way to win. All right, we're bringing back Notre Dame Obscurity of the Week. We're going to talk about some miscellaneous facts in the Navy-Notre Dame rivalry. The first fun fact, this game has never been played at the Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. That's the stadium that's on the Naval Academy's campus. Uh, when Navy hosts, it's usually at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, FedEx Field in D.C. They've played at a Giant Stadium or now MetLife Stadium in New York, but they've never hosted the game on campus where, where they really just kind of have a smaller field with with uh, fewer seats. Uh, this is also a popular neutral site game. We've played it in Dublin. We've played it in San Diego in recent years. But fun fact, never been played on, on the Naval Academy's base. Another fun fact, they have battleship paint in the stadium. I mean, that that's pretty intimidating to me, uh, walking into a stadium like that. But So it's leftover paint from actual battleships in World War II the uh, Navy donated to Notre Dame after the conclusion of the war. Yeah, and, and speaking of Notre Dame's relationship with Navy uh, during World War II, where, where we got our paint from for the stadium, Notre Dame is just one of a handful of schools with a ROTC program in all branches of the military. Um, I've often heard Notre Dame has the largest ROTC program of any school in the country. I, I wasn't able to confirm that, but I think that's what the admissions office told me when I took my campus tour. And, and really, that came from Navy really helping uh, Notre Dame stay afloat financially during World War II. Um, a strong football relationship existed between Navy and Notre Dame before the war. So Navy agreed to use Notre Dame as a training center for what was then known as V-12 cadet training, um, basically what we now know as ROTC today. That kept Notre Dame financially afloat. They trained over 12,000 Naval officers um, from 1942 to 1946 during World War II. That led to a military contract to pay for training those officers, and that was the financial revenue that got Notre Dame through the war when their students, by and large, weren't going to college. They were off serving the country overseas. In total, 2,000 Notre Dame students fought directly in action for the United States. 46 died in World War II, um, and, and coming out of that brought a lot of the history of Notre Dame and, and Navy football even closer together. About that V-12 program, it was actually discontinued after the war, and as Brett talked about before, um, now it has really become what we know as, as ROTC. Um, another fact about this rivalry, 
if you've ever been to one of the games, this is something you would you'd notice at the end of the game. But each team stands at attention for the opposing team's alma mater after the game. It's one of those uh, one of those just like great shows of respect that you have. No matter what happens, no matter what the score is, both both programs have tremendous respect for each other, and this is just one way for them to show that. Yeah, and, and last fun fact about this rivalry, and, and really I like saying this one because it's a response to all those Notre Dame fans that don't like the Navy game. They don't like having to prepare for the triple option. Historically, it's led to injuries. It, it distracts from the prep you do for the rest of the season. I, I, I get it. But this rivalry goes way beyond football. It actually goes really all the way back to Notre Dame's founding, all the way back in 1858, so 16 years after we were founded. A student, William Lynch, convinced Father Soren to commission a military company. That became known as the Continental Cadets. Around the same time, three Holy Cross sisters boarded the first ever U.S. Navy ship. It was called the Red Rover, the USS Red Rover. Um, on New Year, uh, sorry, on Christmas Eve, they were nurses aboard that ship. So Notre Dame, Navy, they go back to the 1860s. Uh, we talked about the, the World War II ties in the 40s and, and now the ROTC program today. Um, just a really cool rivalry in college football, set aside whether or not it's competitive or, or whether or not it's best for our scheduling. Um, it, it's a part of Notre Dame football, and, and I love it, and, and I think those military tie-ins are, are really cool. Definitely. And if you've been to any of these games, a lot of times uh, the Naval Academy will just have some sort of cool, like interesting uh, prelude before the game where they'll, you know, I don't know if they'll have like the Navy SEALs. What, I was at one game, and they basically had Navy SEALs just like, like skydive in from the sky and, and pull off this pretty like uh, well executed uh, landing technique on the field. So you have stuff like that in the games. And one other note that I'll say is we have not played, as Brett mentioned, at their stadium. But during COVID, we were actually before like our our ACC schedule firmed up, <coughs> we were actually open to playing there. Um, it didn't work out unfortunately, uh, but that would have been uh, an opportunity to to actually finally play on the on, the, on their stadium. So who, who knows if it'll happen at some point in the future, but. Um, it almost did last year. That 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 would have been really cool. We're going to close out the show. One last fun fact for you that I actually just looked up while we were recording this. We always close out by saying, go Irish, beat opposing team's mascot, beat Trojans, beat Tar Heels, beat Hokies. Um, we always say, go Irish, beat Navy, but that's not their mascot. So I looked it up real time. If you want to be technically correct, it's Irish, beat Bill the Goat. Bill the Goat is the Navy mascot. So um, Irish. Beat Bill the Goat. Gyrus, beat Bill the Goat. 